Blog Talk Radio. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of the Mike Sappho Podcast, coming to you live from my studio apartment here in New York City. I'm fortunate to get a lot of uh, different guests on the show, a plethora of different athletes, celebrities, authors, old wrestlers, um, and I really love interviewing every one of them, but nothing gets me more giddy more nostalgic than interviewing wrestlers from the 80s. It just sounds crazy, but it takes me back to like those amazing childhood memories, watching Saturday Night Main, uh, main Event, just the morning wrestling, the old pay-per-views, but from Kamala to Virgil, Jake the Snake, Double J, Abdul the Butcher, I've had a ton of great wrestlers on. Let's welcome right to the show an absolute legend in the business. One half of the great tag team, the Killer Bees, my friend B, Brian Blair, What's going on? Thank you for calling, my friend. Thank you, Brother Mike. You know, I'm so excited to be on your podcast. I tell you what, I cruised on down day one with the Hazels just a minute ago. Well, actually, it was about three hours ago. And I picked up a quart of Orange Blossom Special, chugged it on down just for your show so I could get ready for some jaw jacking because that's what you like. And some battles, that's what I like. So get ready, Brother. Because we're going to do some jaw-jacking, some back-cracking, and you're going to see what Mike Zappo's show is all about before you get stung. <laughs> I'm so stoked to have you on, Brian. Now, before we pigeonhole you as just an old wrestler, the former Killer Bee, what are you up to right now? Right now, I am in the car, and I am on my way to... Uh, where am I on my way to? I'm on my way to a friend of mine's house. A friend now, that you know. Who's who's that friend? Uh, I'm going to leave it blank, but I'll, I'll tell you what. I'll let him, I, I'll give you his number, or I'll, call, I'll ask him if I can give, share numbers and you guys can talk. Because there's so many wrestlers in the Tampa Bay area it's amazing. I mean, it's just amazing. I, I've had such a great time putting together Legends Lunch, which is we're going on our 17th year, and being the president and CEO of the Cauliflower Alley Club. We've got our big 52nd reunion coming up the 1st of May, the 2nd of May, and the 3rd of May, and you can join now. You can go to caulifloweralleyclub.org and join for just $25 or you can join for a lifetime for $300 and you get some of the most incredible media coverage that you will not see on the internet. I mean, it's just awesome. And every dime goes to help those that uh, you cheered for. I cheered for uh, many of us love many of us booed, but the bottom line is somehow they slipped on a banana peel. They either got a divorce, too many divorces, they made some bad investments. They met Bernie Madoff. One reason or the other, they need some help. And that help comes from the Cauliflower Alley Club. So every person that's a wrestler, every person that's a wrestling fan, there's no excuse not to be a member of the Cauliflower Alley Club. Go to caulifloweralleyclub.org and help the wrestler that you once loved. So with that and- said... No, Brian, that's very important because uh, we've had Kamala on the show a bunch of times, and Kamala had you know rough times with the legs and everything, and you guys help him out a lot too, right? Um, we normally don't disclose who we help, oh, sorry, but Kamala, sorry. Okay, okay. 
Yeah, but I can because Kamala is one that was um, just speaking the praises of the uh, CAC, uh, which is the, the acronym for the Cauliflower Alley Club. And um, fortunately, we were, all, we're, we were able to help Big Jim Harris, who was a wonderful man. I got to wrestle him in Springfield, Missouri, before he even knew who Kamala was. And um, uh, Joplin, Missouri, and we absolutely tore the house down. And it was because of him, not me. He was and is just a, a great man. We might have a big issue, though. Did you go to the University of Louisville? Because I'm the biggest Kentucky fan in the world. This might be a little bit of an issue here. Oh, no, brother, don't tell me that. Come on, I've been at Cardinals. <laughs> of course I went <laughs> big to Big Blue Nation, baby. I stayed in uh, Threckled Hall and United's Towers. I had, oh, my gosh, I can't even tell you how much fun I had there. Well, L's down because I'm Big Blue Nation. I'm, I believe Kentucky Blue. I just love them. So we might have a little bit of an issue there, but we're not going to let it hold this against us, right? No, absolutely not, because Fletcher Carr, a good buddy of mine who coached wrestling for UK for a long time, went there and uh, did an outstanding job. Now, obviously, you had a career before the WWF, WWE. Where did you even get started with wrestling? That's always, that always fascinates me, because now people can do the YouTube videos and all that crap. How did you get started in the business? Well, uh, well, I was always a wrestler. Uh, or always an athlete, let me say this. I, I, I was from humble beginnings. I've told stories before from my humble beginnings, which took a little while to tell, but uplifting for people that have been down and so to speak. Yeah, yeah. To the to the to by a beat you for any reason. And I was in fifth grade, they were in fifth grade, and they wanted to kick my butt, but instead they sprayed nasty stuff in front of school about me. And I ran home all the way home and cried and cried. You know, wanted to go to school again. My mom used to kiss me about three hundred yards from the yard, so I could breathe. But I was walking to school. Didn't want anybody to see my mom kiss. And it's funny how I became I became issue for Hillsborough County, and the leader of that gang, Mike Epperson, was uh, a high-ranking sheriff in Hillsborough County, which is the thirty-second largest county in the United States. Um, so don't quote me on that. that. That number, it's right in there, but that was as of 2008. <clears throat> so after the, um, uh, well, long before that, um, I'd watch Jack Briscoe, Gordon Soley, um, uh, all these guys, Buddy Colt, that really made me want to, I, I used to go to the armory, and Steve Kern used to, every Tuesday night, I didn't have the money to go, but Steve Kern would would let me, uh, I'd hang by the gate, and he'd say, carry my bag up the stairs, I'll let you in for free, and then take off, kid. I said, okay, that's great, Mr. Kern, I really appreciate that. So I, I got into the armory for about a year like that, and um, Eddie Graham uh, used to run programs. He was really into uh, amateur wrestling, and they came to Tampa Bay Tech High School where I wrestled uh, as well as did many other sports, <clears throat> three other sports, four other sports. 
And um, um, he, he asked me, he said, uh, if you ever want to be a wrestler, it was probably the, one of the greatest memories and one of the days of my life. He said, um, uh, you know, we'd love to give you a tryout. I never realized what a tryout was till, you know, after Louisville and summers uh, between Louisville were grueling at 106 North Albany Street. I was talking to Bob Backlund today about him, and he was talking about, you know, the only two guys that made it out of all the guys that I you know, had there and uh, put through the workout, stretch, did whatever, uh, was uh, you and uh, Orndorff. Oh, and was, Mr. Orndorff. Uh, it was actually during the few summers I was there, it was Orndorff, Hogan, and myself uh, training under Matsuda. And uh, they would always bring in other people to, to wrestle us. So, you know, you asked me how I got there, and uh, I, I guess I'm getting a little ahead of myself. I get so excited thinking about it. But um, I babysat uh, Buddy Colt's kids. Um, Jack Briscoe caught me. Um, following him from aisle to aisle in his Zaire store uh, during Christmas time and snuck up on me from behind and scared the crap out of me and went boo. <laughs> I was just a nobody fan, and he scared the crap out of me. I mean, I couldn't believe it was Jack Briscoe with my own eyes. Um, and so many wonderful people um, gave me a hand up and um, made me work for it, but at least they showed me the ropes and Anybody that wanted to succeed, if you had the drive, the power, the determination, the tenacity, and you could take what they were given, uh, you made it. That's why only three people out of three years, again, Hogan, Orndorff, and myself, made it through the dungeon on Albany Street. Now, how do you get noticed by a big federation? Like, how did Vince Sr. find you? Is that because of all the connections you made? I worked for Vince Senior. Um, I don't know. How, I'm trying to figure out still. Um, <laughs> I guess uh, I'm always writing chapters for uh, memories down to do a book, and um, I still can't quite remember which came which came first. You know, um, I know I wouldn't. Florida was obviously my first territory. Um, and then I believe that uh, Kansas City was my second ter- territory. Um, Jesse Ventura and I um, were roommates for like six months. And then from there, Kansas City was definitely my second territory because I remember when Jack Briscoe told me that when Pat O'Connor, who owned part of the territory with Bob Geigel, and um, uh, it'll come to me in a minute. But the three guys owned the territory of um, Missouri. Um, uh, O'Connor asked me what my finishing move was, and I said the Jack Briscoe roll-up. And, oh, my gosh, I thought he was going to beat me up and throw me out the door. It was a big word because that Pat O'Connor was so proud of the Pat O'Connor roll-up that, you know, Jack Briscoe just uh, him. I mean, they were good friends, and obviously the bond was strong enough where he didn't, totally uh, chicaned me and uh, uh, they gave me a, a chance and it, it was all good. But uh, from the territories on, um, from TBS to, you know, the 80s, you said you love the 80s wrestling. Cindy Lauper is going to be here soon. She's a great person and I can't wait to go see her. Um, 
there's so many great memories that uh, you'd you'd have to pick my mind to bring some more stuff out of it. Now, you're famously known for being one half of the Killer Bees. Did you know Jumpin' Jim Bronzel before you guys teamed up? Were you guys buddies? Did you, like, know each other, do wrestling together? Did you guys even know each other? No, we we didn't, but, you know, I was a, I, I like to watch, uh, I'd buy wrestling magazines and see him and Greg Gagne in the AWA, so I knew who he was. And then um, uh, Hulkster, uh, Terry was, uh, and I were very close. Long before we started uh, in the dungeon, we'd go sit next to each other in the, in the armory. I, he'd help me sneak into a place called The Other Place because he's older than me by five, six years, whatever. And <clears throat> when I was 17, he'd sneak me into uh, uh, watching him play, and he played the bass guitar, and he was just like a freak standing out there with that long, blonde hair and the tan and the muscles. and <laughs> Tremendous. I mean, absolutely tremendous. So, I, um, um, no, go ahead, Brian. So he, yeah, so, so you asked me, um, so Terry had gone, Vince, procured Terry. This is when Vince Sr. just died. And Vince Jr. and his dad had already talked about how WWE could actually take over the wrestling world. Vince Sr. didn't want anything to do with it because he had so much respect. I have actual writings from the NWA and from uh, things that nobody's seen before. It's amazing. But um, uh, Vince had too much respect for his uh, colleagues uh, or whatever, the other territories. So Junior uh, decided afterwards to take it to a whole new level. He <clears throat> hired Hogan away from Vern, and um, uh, he wanted a, a good tag team. And Terry said, um, well, uh, I don't know how he said it to him, but uh, Vince decided that he wanted uh, Jen Brunzel and, and B. Brian Blair to tag up because he had already seen me. And, you know, I had a match with Orndorff where Vince McMahon came up to me and said, that's the best match I've ever seen. And he told both wow. of us that. And that was at the Keel Auditorium. And if you were there, seeing it on tape does nothing for... If you were there, there it was sold out and it was electric. Everything we did was a pop and it was electric. Um, he was sitting at ringside and afterwards came said, hey, that's the best match I ever saw. I went on to Japan and to other places, and then <clears throat> when he wanted to tag team, he told Terry, uh, get these two guys, see if they want to tag. And I got the call. I was in top in Flor- on top in Florida, and we were doing good money um, and um, worked with, working with uh, Rick Brood, um, uh, Jimmy Garvin, and Jesse Barr. I mean, selling out all over the place. Um, the uh, the call was a, a bittersweet call because I had kind of a loyalty to the Graham, the, to Mike and Eddie Graham, but at the same time, I realized that this was the place to be, uh, the WWF, and so uh, we went. We got together in um, Brantford, Ontario. Uh, never met each other before. Shook hands. We're in a locker room full of the boys and. I had remember seeing the hometown of Wayne Gretzky as I was driving in from wherever I was. It was really a, a great experience as I look back. But in, 
And um, Jimmy and I were there, and George Scott, who was our booker then, came up to us and said, listen, um, Vince wants you to come up with a name, and you've got 45 minutes because you're on in 45 minutes, and we have to call you something other than uh, Jumpin' Jim Brunzel and B. Brian Blair. So George had gone off to talk to somebody, but he was still in the room, and I, right away something came to my mind. I, I love the Miami Dolphins. I, I'm a big football fan. And I love the, the Dolphins. So the, I guess it was the 72 Dolphins that were the Killer Bees, and uh, they had the defense. It was the Killer Bees defense. So I thought, um, you know, how about the Killer Bees? I said to Jimmy. He goes, that sounds good, Brian. I like that, Killer Bees. And so uh, we called, asked Mr. Scott to come back. And Scott, um, we have an idea. He says, what is it? And now Lanny Poffo was next to us, and he could hear everything that we were talking about. And I said to George, I said, how about the Killer Bees? He goes, didn't really look. And all of a sudden about... After 45 seconds, which is a long time, of analyzing something, he goes, I like it. I like it. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go tell Vince. So he ran to Vince, went, went, whatever, he might have walked. But he went to Vince and got back shortly after, and he said, uh, you guys are now the killer bees. And Lanny Poffo goes, look, I got their trunks right here. And he pull, reaches in his bag, and he pulls out a pair of yellow and black striped tights. And it was too much. And we kind of, you know, um, you know, looked at the tights and they're very similar to what the tights that we wore. And um, that's where the killer bees were born. I, I really, I haven't watched wrestling in a while, but we watched WrestleMania three because I had the WWE uh, app and I watched it and I saw your match. So I want to talk about WrestleMania three, but the funny thing was, I'm like, wow, the killer bees. So I wrote to you. And I wrote to Jim Brunzel, and today my phone rings, a phone number from Minnesota. It was your buddy, Jim Brunzel. We talked for like five minutes. He's going to do the show next week. And he said he just talked to you about some political issues. He was cracking up talking about you. He said, he said what's up? He said you just emailed him, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He sent me a picture <laughs> of uh, tr- the Trumps and the McMahon family yeah, yeah, all together, yeah. I think. And, and he's, a, he's a real hardcore liberal, and I'm a conservative. And, yeah, yeah. and it was <laughs> – had a few other people that it, that it came from was kind of a group email and it was a joke. It said, um, uh, uh, "Ego Mania 2017." That's what he <laughs> the, somebody entitled the photo, and it's yeah. nothing but the McMahon, McMahon family and Donald Trump, and it's a beautiful picture. I really love it, and um, um, I saw it and I sent back great photo. Awesome. Thank you very much, Jimmy. So all of his so all of his liberal friends could see that like <laughs> so, you were oh, it great. so you guys stayed close it was then. Great. Yeah, and you know, yeah, we're very close. And you know, my dad is a liberal. He's a construction worker and um, you know, I've been in politics, uh, you know, I was at the top of the political game in Hillsborough County by being a countywide commissioner in a county that's the 32nd largest county in the world, at least it was in 19 or 2008 out of 2,000 some odd counties, uh, a county that's 1,072.8 square miles with 1.3 million people in it. So you've got to get, you got to beat your opponent. And I think the mayor uh, who is the guy who's the mayor right now in Tampa, Bob Buckhorn, and we have uh, uh, we have uh, 
three municipalities in Hillsborough County, which is Tampa, Temple Terrace, and Plank City. And um, politics were fun. And I remember going back to uh, to Jesse when um, when in Missouri when we sold out uh, the auditorium that hadn't been sold out in a couple of years, and um, just being so close to Jesse for about six months, and and then on after. Um, we uh he he was totally i didn't know what party he was representing when he talked because it was off the <laughs> wall but when you when you ride with Jesse or you go somewhere with Jesse he rocks back and forth and puts some Copenhagen in his lip i hope he's quit that nasty habit and uh he would talk and you would listen um at least i did and i would speak maybe 10% of the time and uh I made Jesse happy. It's all, uh, you know, and I and I, it entertained me at the same time. I mean, you always learn something, so you, you always want to listen a lot more than you talk. I learned that. Now, I just brought up WrestleMania three and the atmosphere, the Pontiac Silverdome, and you had the match before Hulk and Andre, which is absolutely insane. How was the whole WrestleMania three experience? Because do you feel that's when like. I would say you as a wrestler of the Killer Bees, was that your moment like in front of all those people? WWF back then was huge. Was that like, not the pinnacle, but was that like just a surreal experience? Um, well, Mike, I, I would say that was probably one of the highest highs mm-hmm. that could ever have um, to see to feel the electricity and look around and not even be able to tell the color of somebody's hat. It was way up, and and I have good long. I don't know what that's called when you can see good far away, um, but uh, I can see good far away, and I couldn't hardly make out the the people. There it was like ants. It was just so many people. I have never seen that many people, and to ride out in a cart and a pair of modified underwear, and you know you get in the ring and you know that there's. Um, yeah, only God knows how many watching on pay-per-view, and it's going to be a rerun, and the tape's going to be sold. I can't even imagine how many people have seen WrestleMania three, but it's it's a lot. And to know that to know that we were there and and did that. Not that I liked the finish. Not that I liked working with Sheik and Volkov. Uh, I love working with the Hart Foundation, uh, even Brutus and, and and Greg Valentine, whomever. But you know the Nikolai and the Sheik could get great heat, fabulous heat, but you couldn't make a comeback because they would take um, bumps in three stages, and you'd have to shoot to lift them up, and it was just it was nothing like working with the Hart Foundation, nothing at all, and so that. That part was hard because you can only you can only shine as much as your opponent shines, and you can only be as good as the opponent that you're working with. Sure, you can you can do things that your opponent's not really um, uh, able to do or thinking about doing to try to enhance the match. But the bottom line is, if your comeback's only as good as the heel makes it. Now, did you enjoy, obviously, the Hart Foundation, because Brett has spoken so highly of wrestling with you guys. Did you like wrestling with Demolition, the Bulldogs? Because in the 80s, wrestling 
the tag team division was just awesome. Every time it was just great matches. Did you like working with the other teams besides the Hart Foundation, which everyone knows about? Demolition, the British Bulldogs. Did you enjoy that? Oh, absolutely. They were great. Even uh, the Rougeos. Um, mm-hmm. We worked with them a couple times, even though they were baby faces. And then you had Strike Force, Tito. Um, and Rick Martel, yeah. <laughs> and, and Rick Martel will be at uh, Cauliflower Alley Club this year, um, which is May 1st, 2nd, and 3rd. Go to cauliflowerallyclub.org, and you can check it all out. Cheap rooms. Um, uh, Rick Martell will be there, and he, he was one of the premier baby faces of all time. <laughs> now, forget about tag team. How about your favorite single wrestlers? Because, like, like I said, I don't watch wrestling anymore. If it's on, I'll you know I'll leave it on. I'm a huge sports person, so if I flick through channels and I see it. How about old single matches? Because talking about, like, I just love talking about the nostalgic of it. How about like I know you mentioned Paul Orndorff. Who else did you like wrestling with singles? Oh, wow. Uh, Ravishing Rick Rude. Um, Jimmy Garvin. Um, um, Jesse Barr. Um, uh, Ron, um, uh, golly. Um, ooh, come on. Come on, mine. I've had four concussions, so once in a while, uh, stop. Ron Starr. Uh, Ron Starr. Um, just... You know, on and on, Dick Murdoch, Killer Carl Cox. Uh, unbelievable people that, you know, Don Morocco, uh, Bru- uh, you know, Bruiser Brody, golly. What he did for me, I couldn't pay him in dollars. Uh, in Tampa, a match in Tampa where, you know, it, I love Frank so much, God bless him. And uh, his wife, Barbara, is such a wonderful woman. But they uh, they wanted us to do um, some kind of a, a screwy finish that didn't even really make sense. And I don't remember who the booker was then. <clears throat> but um, it was basically where um, it, the bottom line was that Bruiser was going to get his hand raised. And obviously that was probably what made the most sense because here I am, you know, six foot, 230 pounds and uh, legit. And Frank's probably six, six, two eighty, two ninety, legit. And, um, we had a, a, a match that was kind of something that was a la Abdullah, um, going out of the ring had some great stuff in the ring, went out of the ring. You know, he just, uh, he led the match, called everything, got us counted out. And um, it really, really helped me a lot. And I'll never forget that from him. I miss him. It's, it's really refreshing. You speak, like, highly of the business. You don't seem bitter about it at all. And, like, that's really awesome to hear. But what made you leave? Because I, really, I didn't Google anything. I didn't really listen any other podcast you were on, but what made you leave the WWF and split with uh, Jim Brunzel? And was it nasty you're leaving the WWF? No, not at all. Not at all. It wasn't nasty. It was at WrestleMania five. Um, before we went on, I had to talk with Jim. I mean, with uh, Jimmy first, and told him that um, I had to talk to Vince. You know, we had been promised the belts three times, never got them. And I started to see uh, there was a time when, uh, I don't know if this pissed Vince off, when Jesse and Jimmy uh, wanted to start a union, 
um, that went over like a bad. And, um, you know, Vince called me and I said, I, Vince, I have nothing to do with that whatsoever. I promise absolutely nothing, which I didn't. And um, he was so, so, so hot. I think uh, that uh, Jimmy and Jesse got a couple of weeks off. You can ask him. I'm not sure, sure, but I think it was, that's what I remember. And um, I, I don't know if that's what he held against us or, or what it was, but, um, you know, we were promised the belts three times on three different occasions, uh, once by Vince, twice by George, and it never happened. I mean, we got the wound up going with Herb Abrams and got the UWF World Tag Team belts, but that's nothing, uh, you know, that's like having the maybe the Central States Tag Team titles, <laughs> which I had. But, uh, um, you know, um, I, had, I, I have, uh, I'm not bitter toward the business at all. I love the business. I, 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 I I think Vince has given more people opportunities. You know, I feel bad when people don't understand unless you've really owned business. I own Gold's Gyms. I started with one Gold's Gym and built four of them. After That's what I did after I left Vince. I decided that I, you know, I had already thought about what was I, what I was going to do. And, um, you know, I couldn't, uh, I just love the gym. So, I'd always have to figure out what time I was going to work out. And so I thought, well, Pete Grimkowski is a good friend of mine from Gold's Gym Corporate in California. Uh-huh. Started one, uh, had the rights to six, sold the rights to two of them. Um, uh, it's public record. I sold four of them with no debt for $2.1 million. Oh, um, wow. <laughs> and uh, Steve Kern was a 20% owner in my Tampa Palms Club, and he made a ton of money, and I got to help, you know, my friend who helped me because he helped make that gym just the best it could be. And um, so we did good. I mean, I, 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 we all did good, and, uh, you know, it was great business experience for 10 years having to make payroll for, at the end, we had 120 employees, and we had... Uh, Lots of independent contractors, and you know, a lot of people don't understand what it takes to make a payroll and all the bills that you have. You know, it's 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 just not the building that they got to pay for, and the wrestlers, there's insurance, there's a, there's a thousand other things. It's the staff in the back, the bookers. You know, it's just Vince was um, could have been maybe a little more uh, paid a little more, but you know, I mean. I don't have to worry about paying my electric bill tomorrow. So I'm very blessed. Um, I, I feel very close to the Lord. Um, that's where I get my inspiration from. I'm a God-fearing person, a uh, God-loving person. I'm far from a saint. and um, But uh, I think that uh, the WWF was good for everybody that made a living there other than the guys that couldn't handle their money and uh, developed a drug habit or or couldn't keep their wife or whatever bad thing came of the road because when you're on the road for 300 days, 
a year or more, uh, it's very difficult in all aspects of your life. Um, all aspects. Well, now, Brian, so that's, how, that's, how did you, no, I'm curious, you mentioned the drugs, you mentioned, you know, the other vices that a lot of wrestlers have. How did you not become a statistic? Because sadly, like, you know, I, I love watching old wrestling stuff and you read about them, like, where are they now? And sadly, a lot of them are on hard times. How did you not become a statistic? Probably, probably because of my faith and my responsibility that was instilled in me. I, I bought my house that I still live in when I was 23 years old. My mom lives in my guest house. Uh, we're on a lake with a dock and a pool. And um, you know, uh, Unfortunately, my son, my oldest son, Brett, is 24. He uh, had uh, 17 kidney stones was a tremendous athlete. I mean, way better than I ever thought about being. And um, he uh, got addicted to pain pills right after he pitched in the Nationals. I coached for 15 seasons, and um, uh, we had beaten all of the AAU teams. This was a park ball all-star team. And uh, he... uh, he he pitched in that um, last game that we lost to Houston in Burleson, Texas, and uh, his innings were up, and we were winning five to two, and we wound up losing six to three, I believe it was. And I thought he was going to be really upset, and he really wasn't. And I was talking to him about, hey, that's great sportsmanship, you know, blah blah blah. And he says to me. And I'll, I'll never, ever, ever forget these words he said to me, Dad, I, I just am looking forward to my next kidney operation because I love the way that pump, I feel when I press that pump. And I thought to myself, wow, you know, oh, Hercules Hernandez. So many guys were going through my head. I'm thinking, oh, dear God, please don't. And, uh, you know, he became... Uh, not only addicted to pain pills, Oxycontin, heroin, a kid that had the world by the balls. And uh, he's right now, he looks unbelievable, but he is in uh, a one-and-a-half-year rehab program six months through it. So he's still got a chance. He's still got hope. We we have a lot of hope and faith for him. And um, my 21-year-old is doing well. Um, he's getting ready to join the Navy, and um, just uh, how I never got hooked on that stuff was was because of my faith. The largest thing was because of my faith and my responsibility that was instilled in me. And I knew that being a, a you know a druggie, not that I didn't, I'm not going to say that I was innocent about it. Drugs, you know, I'd be lying to you. Um, but I never let that supersede a match, supersede uh, uh, money from, you know, a bill that I owed or, or do anything uh, that was destructive towards uh, who I was, where I was going, and who I had to support. You, uh, you hit on such a personal issue because my younger brother, uh, same exact thing, pills, then heroin, and 
He's doing very well now. He's uh, you know in and out of rehabs for years and years and years, and it's the most heartbreaking thing. But you nailed the point of it. All you can have is hope. And you know, I went to a ton of Naranon meetings for family members who deal with addiction, and it's intense. Like it's to have no control over it. It's it's scary, and you, your faith is going to get you through it. And it's the hope. It's the Naranon. It's just it's a scary, scary place. But I just hope your son's doing better. Does how, how how long has he been clean now? Um, for about uh, eight months, and because um, he was in jail for two months before that. Um, my brother too. My brother too. And um, then, um, fortunately, there were some good judges here that uh, put him in the those thirty day places. I wasted a ton of money on those thirty day oh. places. They just don't. The thirty day place is hopeless. I mean, they need to be somewhere for at least at least six months. And Phoenix House here, uh, they live in Citroën close to uh, Ocala. Their program is really a year and a half. And mm-hmm. Brett's working 50 hours a week right now, and he gives, um, I don't know, like close to half of his paycheck goes to the Phoenix House. And that's how they get their money back. And then they're able to save the other half. And, um, you know, he saved a lot of money already. He's um, he, he's really made a 180, and I'm so thankful for the people at the Phoenix House. And um, I maybe even I might get back in politics just to um, try to foster, um, try to help kids that really need that direction. Um, it's... Uh, being while I was on the county commission, most people won't talk about this, but it's audited. It's it's a record. It's a fact that I convinced three other people with a 4.2 billion dollar budget. I convinced uh, three other people because it takes four votes out of seven mm-hmm. um, to create policy that saved Hillsborough County over a billion dollars during a 10 year period. And it's much more than that because you couldn't measure. Um, God, I could go into all kinds of stuff. But if I get into that, well, I'll lead up your whole show. And this is a wrestling show, not a political yeah. show. So yeah. <laughs> anyway, that that was, a lot of people don't realize. You know, hey, I, I, Jesse ran for governor. Well, I ran for uh, at-large county commissioner with almost as many people, uh, 1.3 million people which is larger than seven other states. So it's like running for governor um, in seven other states, North Dakota, South Dakota, Wyoming, uh, Montana, um, Delaware, Hawaii. I forget the other, all the states, but uh, it's a large county. A big you, know, I, you and I can talk about addiction now forever, but I'll sway it a little bit. <laughs> I'm not sure of the answer, but uh, Kamal has been on before, and he said that, Vince uh, continued to sell his merchandise, and sadly, he never got any money for it, blah, blah, blah. So twofold question, did Vince continue to sell Kill B stuff, and did you keep any memorabilia, like any cool wrestling items or anything that you kept around? Oh, I have a ton. I I have – I gave a couple things, a few things to the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame in uh, Wichita, Texas, which was uh, in New York, and – I think I sold a mask and a pair of tights to a friend. And other than that, maybe one of my belts. I have 
all of my original stuff, about 90% of it, about 100% of my Florida stuff. You know, I just kept it all, and I still have it. So. Now, do you still watch it, or are you still into wrestling? And do you like giving wrestling interviews, or do you like enough is enough? Like, what do you? What's your opinion? I'm always curious because, like I said, I have a, I've had a ton of athletes, and obviously, you want to talk about what they're known for. So when I'm interviewing this football player, I want to talk football. Are you just you have you had it with doing wrestling interviews, or do you actually still enjoy them? No, I really enjoy them, and I appreciate you having me on, Mike, and. Uh... Uh, I really do. I I enjoy it a lot. Um, I enjoy interacting with the fans. I've got so many bookings coming up for um, you know for uh, signings and and I still pop in the ring once in a while, um, which is still fun to me. And um, I realize I can't do what I did when I was uh, twenty uh, three, but uh, I can still. Uh, um, have a good match. If if you go to uh, Brian Blair versus Cahagas, that was about a year ago. Um, he's being honored. He's one of the guys being honored in Cauliflower Alley Club. Uh, Kevin Von Erich, uh, Tully Blanchard, Cahagas. Um, um, you got um, uh, Dave Meltzer getting the Jim Melby Award. Um, God, there's so many people that are going to be there. So I can't even name them all. Glow girls. Now, what's the what's the biggest misconception of wrestling in the '80s? Probably that it's fake. I hate that word fake. Um, because it's you know so many athletes and and really people with skilled, highly skilled people have tried to become a wrestler. And it just takes a certain person who can do what it takes to um, have a match that the people will come back and come back again to watch you. And it, that, that's probably the misconception that bothers me the most, that it's just a redneck sport or whatever. Um, it's, it's just everybody. I, I've got more pictures with more stars then, you know, you could uh, uh, point your finger at. But, um, and it's, it's all because of wrestling, you know. It's, uh, wrestling's great to me. But on Circle K cards, and yeah. done so much. It's just, you know, all the time I'm, get, I'm seeing these new things from these different countries um, that are on these different products. And I don't know if Vince knows about that, but it's amazing the stuff that people have made of the killer bees. Um, we never got a dime off it. Oh, that's horrible. Now I want to ask you about some legends that you worked with. If you want to just give a sentence or a quick thing, there's like four guys that I'm always so curious about. Big John stud. Big John stud. Oh, I love big John stud. John Minton was a class act. I'll never forget pulling a rib on him in Japan. But anyway, before I tell you that, we were on a six-week tour in Japan, and it was Big John, Stud, Paul Orndorff, and a, a, a good crew. I, I, let me just leave it right there because <laughs> it get, get too long. But uh, everybody was kind of ribbing each other. And Paul, you know, Paul 
loved to flirt with the girls. He, uh, there was a stewardess. Oh, I'm not, I don't want to tell that story. Um, uh, very doomed. Paul was grouching on a bus, and Akasaka was the bus driver. I always went for New Japan Pro Wrestling. And he was three weeks away from American culture. His first tour to Japan, John Studs, on the bus. He's already been to Japan before, so he knows what it's like. And, and I had too. And Paul's going, golly, I can't stand He's making everybody miserable because he's talking about negative stuff. You know, we don't need negative when we're already trying to be up in a place that we can't speak the language and there's a lot of barriers so uh big john stud goes paul from now on we're going to call you oscar the grouch because my kids watch the muppets and you are exactly like oscar the grouch so big john stud named paul oscar and that name stuck with him with a lot of his close friends and, and, and <laughs> paul's one of my best friends and i i don't call him anything but oscar and um if you ever talk to him, you got to call him Oscar. So uh, Big John Stud was great. So we, the, the rib that I did to him, uh, his back, he was always having back problems because he was a big guy that was always trying to get bigger. And naturally, your back can only um, take so much. And he, he seemed like he always did more upper body than lower body and not core. You know, we didn't understand core. A lot of people didn't back then, you know, getting your core strong first, which is your abs and your back, your lower back, and uh, so that you walk upright and you can for the rest of your life. So we went into this town, and they had, it was a town that sold little dolls, um, wooden dolls, and we went into this hotel. Normally we had the Kiel Plaza in Shinjuku was as nice as any Marriott that you want to go to, or Hilton, so we go to this little doll and we're in this little hotel that's the best they can find, but it is what it is. And they have these real low beds and you can't find anything. It's dark and we get in there. It was late and I was looking for my light. And it's the hardest, it was the hardest place to find the light switch. So I found my light switch. Paul hollers at me, where's the light switch? And so I'm thinking, and I hear Big John say, Where's the light switch? Where's the light switch? So I went in real quick. Paul was two doors down. John Stubb was about six doors down. And I hollered to John, it's under the bed. It's under the bed. <laughs> and then I went and showed Paul where the light switch was. And all of a sudden we hear, ah, the screaming, loud wailing. And it's coming from John Studd's room. Ah, well, he got stuck under the bed looking for that light switch, and he couldn't get out from underneath the bed. <laughs> and it was behind the door. <laughs> it was just in a real precarious place. But he had really believed me. <laughs> oh, we did such terrible things. We we taped up new kids and in Hokkaido where it was ice cold and took all their clothes off and taped them up and left them on top of the trash can while we went and got noodles. Um, just unbelievable. Two, two more guys I'm always curious about. The one-man gang. Did you really work with him? Well, not really. Um, maybe. I, not that I remember, but I was always – I was around George a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, he was a wonderful person. Wonderful. And then, 
And then obviously the one everyone always asks is about Andre the Giant, because I'm fascinated with him. And HBO is finally doing a documentary. I think Bill Simmons is doing it on him. Just tell me one Andre story, because I'm just fascinated with that man. All right. I'll tell you, uh, well, Andre and I were great friends. Most people know Andre uh, had a ranch in South Carolina, um, a Frenchie. Uh, I think it was South Carolina. Anyway, he had a nice ranch in the Carolinas. And Frenchie, um, who most of us knew until he retired because Andre wanted him to, he was Andre's um, kind of valet-like and really did actual things for him, especially when he came from Grenoble, France. And, his, you know, Frenchie was there from the beginning. So Frenchie watched the ranch while Andre was on the road. And Andre and I got to be tremendous friends. I mean, I just great, great friends. And, and Dusty and Andre and I used to always ride together in Watts' territory. And, um, <laughs> oh, God, I don't know if I can tell this story. I guess I'll go ahead and do it. So, you know, Andre had a wonderful, beautiful girl named Carol. Um, she was like six foot one, six two, two hundred pounds, pretty girl. One time I... It was in Lubbock, Texas. I knocked on the door when Andre told me to wake him up. Knocked on the door because um, we were going to we wanted to go to breakfast. I planned this whole deal, whatever. And so I knocked on the door and he tells me to come in. And I look and there's four feet hanging, two feet off the bed, you know, and <laughs> where one's hanging about three feet and the other one's hanging about a half a foot off the bed. And uh, he goes, uh, you know. Go get go to the liquor store and get me the whatever he asked for. I forgot before breakfast. So um, I I go to Louisiana now. This was probably after Kansas City, where I had my '72 Blue Lincoln Continental from high school. I think I drove in high school, and uh, we're in Jackson, Mississippi. Nice hotel there. It's about this time of the year. Um, there's no snow on the ground. It's a little cool, about 40 degrees or so, but the sun is shining so hot that it's almost like you got to take your shirt off. Um, Dusty had a West Texas State uh, brown. I'll never forget brown-colored West Texas State because uh, he played football there. long sleeve shirt on with a T-shirt underneath, and Andre the Giant had a T-shirt and a Yavea. He always wore That was his old, whole wardrobe. Uh, which is kind of a Cuban smoking shirt named after uh, called the Wyabay. So anyway, uh, the dream goes, um, uh, yo, Beepa. That's a long story, too, uh, why they call me Beepa. Um, <laughs> he goes, yo, he says, Beepa, listen, um, I need you. We're going to leave in about an hour and a half. we got to go to Greenville. It's 220 miles north. And... Uh, uh, you're the driver, and Andre's going to sit in the front seat. I'm going to sit in the back seat, and I'm get, I got I got a cup from McDonald's, and uh, I'll tell you about that in a minute, and I want you to go to the liquor store. And I said, okay, Dream, uh, what do I do? He said, I want you to get Andre two of the biggest bottles of Crown Royal that they sell. And get him a case of Budweiser. I said, okay, Dream. And he said, get me a case of Lone Star. I said, okay, Dream. And he said, you could have a six-pack because you'll drive it. I said, okay, Dream, I appreciate that. And uh, <laughs> he hands me a few hundred bucks. And I go off to the liquor store. Can I read 
okay? And he, before I leave, he goes, hey, people, come here, come here. Hey, hey, it's going to be so cold. I'm telling you, it's going to be cold. We're going north. And he said, we're going we're gonna to pee in the cooler. Get a styrofoam cooler. We'll pee in the McDonald's cup, and we'll put it in the cooler. And that way we don't have to let any hot air out. I said, okay, Dream, that's great. You know, what else am I going to say? So uh, I go get all this stuff, and, you know, I'm thinking – I, dude, my heater's broken, and I didn't tell these guys. My defroster works, but my heater doesn't work. It helps a little bit, but it doesn't get the car warm. So we're driving up, and I'm thinking about any time now, the dream, and that's some of the funniest things. I, I, I won't get into every, but we're going up 220 miles. It starts snowing. Uh, it's getting ice cold. It's getting bad, and it's cold inside. I'm cold, and I got a coat on. And, uh, but neither one of them, they're drinking and having fun. And Andre was the only guy that could drink before the matches and never get in trouble. Everybody else would get in trouble. But if you drank, anybody, you, you, I mean, you just couldn't work for any promoter. Um, so uh, um, on the way up, we finally get there, and I'm, I'm just thanking the good Lord that he didn't ask me to turn the heater on because I'm thinking, wow, oh, we're all laughing so much, and we go inside to the building. It's sold out. It's packed. And um, so Andre and Dusty are on last, and Dusty goes, Hey, beep, as soon as your match is over, go uh, start the car. Uh, or when we go in the ring, you start the car and turn on the heater, get everything ready, and uh, we'll be right out. I said, Okay, Dream. So, uh I watched him walk into the ring. I go back to the car. I turn the car on. I'm thinking, I'm playing with stuff, trying. Maybe it's a short. I can't get the freaking heater to work. It won't work no how. But the, uh, I got the, it's so cold. There's ice everywhere and snow, and it's just nasty, nasty, nasty. And um, they come running into the car. Uh, you know, goddamn, people, turn that heater on. Turn it, and the giant just laughed. All the, oh, 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 oh. He didn't care. He was just. I mean, he was fermented. Uh, that's probably why most giants only live till they're like 33, and I think he lived till he was 46 or 47. And uh, uh, he, uh, he didn't say a word about the cold. Everything was great. You know, he made he told some great stories. Dustin told some great stories, but he kept saying, "God damn, people, turn that heater on! Turn that heater on! Uh, you're free of the American dream. You know, the greatest, the greatest uh, talent in show business, baby. You know, turn that heater on, and I'm going to give you a bionic elbow when Giant's going to drive. <laughs> well, everybody laughs. No, everybody's still laughing. We're about now 100-some-odd miles down the road, and everybody's pissed in that cooler and that McDonald's cup, and it's getting higher and higher. And um, um, Dusty's sitting in the back and um, in the middle of the – you got a picture of this now. I'm the Lincoln Continental. I'm driving the Giants to my right. We got blue leather interior, a powder blue 72 Lincoln Continental, and the Dusty wanted to sit in the middle so he could, you know, direct traffic, talk to everybody and everything. And he's got the the cooler full of piss on his on his lap, and um, somebody says something, and it was so hilarious. It was just hilarious to everybody. And the giant laughed so hard that he rocked forward where his head his head was hitting my my dashboard and then he went backwards really hard and when he did it broke my back seat and when that happened 
He hit the styrofoam cooler on Dusty's lap, and Dusty was immediately got drenched like water from a dam. I, it went all over his pants and his whole self, and he was going, oh, my God, people, you're blackballed. I can't believe you did this to the man. You just pissed on the American dream in front of, embarrassed me in front of Andre the Giant, the two greatest, two greatest showmen in the, you know, in the world. He just carried on and carried on, and he was doing that just smacking me with that dusty talk, and he was really, really upset, and the giant was just so happy that that happened. It was the funniest thing to the giant. He turned around, and he was laughing like nobody. I, I mean, I thought the giant just had the most fun of his life, and, you know, of course, I was getting beat up the whole time by, by Dusty verbally because uh, we started together, obviously, in Tampa. I mean, he started before me, but he was the booker when I started in Tampa. But uh, <laughs> uh, he, he, was, he told me that I was going to be black. He said, people, you're going to be blackballed and you never wrestle again, blah, 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 blah. A week later, we're in New Orleans. We're on Bourbon Street. Okay. And we're eating Jewish's oysters. And... Um, drinking beer and eating oysters. We were off that day, having a great time. And so Andre wants to go walk. We do, everybody does whatever Andre wants to do. So Andre wants to go walk, see what's going on on Bourbon Street. So we walked a little bit, and all of a sudden he sees these. I don't know if it's still there, but there was a second floor with this um, mannequin uh, in a chair that rocked out to Bourbon Street and back into the building, you know, about four feet out, about four feet in, and it was a girly place. So uh, Andre, hey, we go there, you know, he says in his deep voice, we go there. And uh, come on, beep, we're going in there. I said, okay, let's go. And uh, I said, just a minute, I'll be right back. And no, he said, no, 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 he insisted that I come. And man, I had a piece of Vatican sandwich. So, um, there's, uh, we start walking up these stairs, and there's a platform in the middle. Um, you got a picture of the stairs going up, a platform, mm-hmm. and then they go off to the right to get into the, to the, to the gimmick there, to the second floor, to the bar, whatever. So we're climbing up to the stairs, and just Andre got to the platform. Dusty got to the plat. I was almost there, and the lights go out. So when the lights went out, Andre goes, ho, 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 on your poke. And that voice is deep voice. And so everybody grabbed the wallet. And we were all a little bit afraid, you know, like, you know, how often do you see Dusty Rhodes and Andre the Giant in New Orleans? You know, Bourbon don't know if it's a holdup or robbery or what's going on. So we get to the platform and we're kind of back, you know, making sure we're, this goes on for like four minutes five minutes and that's a long time with no lights and we're just standing there and nobody's coming to our rescue or nothing and, anything. and so uh, I, I can't stand it no more and so there was a palm tree uh, and right to the left I, and I started peeing in the palm tree <laughs> and all of a sudden uh, I, I had to um, wrap things up and uh, the lights pop on wow and when they did it Dusty's going, he's shaking his boot. He had his uh, pants pulled in his boot. He's going, got the, got the, I, I hate to use that word. G-D, 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 people, people, 
and I accidentally, I thought it was the palm tree, but I was peeing on Dusty's leg, and it was going into his cowboy boot. And I filled this cowboy boot full of paint, and Andre was laughing so uncontrollably, uncontrollably hard. He couldn't, just couldn't. I mean, he sat down, and he was full, and Dusty, I thought he was going to beat me up. You know, he didn't say that. That's two times, two times, two times. You did that to the American team. You won't never wrestle again. We're done. We're done. That's it. It's like, uh, I know that's not the cleanest thing to tell, and I apologize to anybody I might have upset, but, uh, you know, it's a fact. See, that is such a legendary story. But listen, bro, here's the worst part. So I didn't know how long you would actually give me, so I only scheduled the podcast for one hour. So I have like one more minute with you. But here's the deal. You have to promise me, all right? That's all I got to. Let's go. Okay. No, no, no. We're going to do one minute. I talk to, I told you, different athletes, celebrities, and it's always cool to sit down and talk to you, listening to stories. I didn't even want to talk. I wanted to just lay down and listen to you talk. It is an absolute and I truly mean this, honored to talk to you. And I leave for Southeast Asia on the 23rd. When I get back, I want to continue this interview just like we're continuing it now because I hopefully you had fun. I had an absolute blast just hearing a, a gazillion different stories about you. But every time I do the show, I end it with this one question. Right now, I always ask, like, you know, how cool people are. Just say you and I are up in New York City. You're at a signing. Afterwards, you and I go to the bar. We're hanging out. Who's the coolest person in your phone that you can text that would text you back? Who's the coolest person that B. Brian Blair has in his phone right now? Ah, uh, wow. Golly. Um, the coolest person, maybe The Rock? And, and, uh, but I, and he, would, wait, he would text you back? Like, so if you ever texted The Rock on a random Thursday, he would write back to you eventually? Absolutely. Damn it. You know what? Hands down. Well, someone's had, a few people had Michael Jordan's number. A couple of people had Shaq's. That might be one of the best answers. Damn it. That was a really good answer. Well, Brian, I had a, Yeah, no, listen. I had an absolute blast with you, and I mean this. I really want to do another interview with you when I get back from vacation. Sound good? Sounds good, Mike. I appreciate you. Absolute blast, man. Thank you, my friend. And uh, plug, the cauliflower, plug the cauliflower thing one more time. Okay, cauliflowerlaclub.org. Um, golly, this is our 52nd reunion, and um, it's only the, uh, the banquet costs 125 bucks. Uh, that's for lots of food for both days, the Bacuico pullout and the big uh, um, gala with uh, steak and lobster and all that's paid for, and rooms are like, you know, 40, 50 bucks. And you just go to cauliflowerlaclub.org. And uh, you'll have the time of your life, I guarantee you. You can become a member. Again, go to collegeflowerlaclub.org. It's only 25 bucks to join, and every dime goes to help people that entertain you. Bro, that was an awesome plug. And I'm going to keep in touch with you, brother. I can't thank you enough for coming on my show, man. Thank you, Mike. I enjoyed it very much. I'll talk, soon. I'll talk soon, brother. You too, brother. Thank you. Interviewing the killer bees. So, I only have like another 45 seconds, so I'll make it quick. I know this is a long podcast. If you hung in with it, thank you. B. Brian Blair told amazing stories. Andre the Giant pissing stories. You can't beat that. Um, I was watching WrestleMania. I'll throw on like uh, the WWF 
WWE app before I go to bed. And WrestleMania 3 came on. I go, wow, I'm dozing in and out. And the Killer Bee match came on. I'm like, oh, wow, what are the Killer Bees up to? So I go on Twitter. I hit both of them up. Both of them wrote back within a day or two. To be a diehard wrestling fan like I am, like I was in the 80s, and to just talk to the Killer Bees on the phone, it's, it's like surreal. So thank you, everybody, for listening. I hope the audio is okay. I know all my shows have been live lately, and this one uh, was a call-in. So hopefully everyone still enjoyed the show. Talk to you all soon.